it was a few minutes later that he saw a human being. It was a woman, a tired-looking woman in a shapeless blue dress, shuffling toward him up the street. He quickly averted his eyes, dumbfounded. She did not look right. He had expected them to be about his size, but this one was more than a head shorter than he. Her complexion was ruddier than he had expected, and darker. And the look, the feel, was strange, even though he had known that seeing them would not be the same as watching them on television. Eventually there were more people on the street, and they were all roughly like the first one. He heard a man remark in passing, "'Like I say, they don't make cars like that one no more.' And although the enunciation was odd, less crisp than he had expected, he could understand the man easily. Several people stared at him, a few of them suspiciously, but this did not worry him. He did not expect to be molested, and he was confident, after observing the others, that his clothes would bear up under inspection. When the jewelry store opened, he waited for ten minutes and then walked in. There was one man behind the counter, a small, chubby man, in a white shirt and tie, dusting the shelves. The man stopped dusting, looked at him for a moment, a trifle strangely, and said, "'Yes, sir?' He felt over-tall, awkward, and suddenly very frightened. He opened his mouth to speak, nothing came out. He tried to smile, and his face seemed to freeze. He felt deep in him something beginning to panic, and for a moment he thought he might faint. The man was still staring at him, and his look seemed not to have changed. "'Yes, sir,' he said again. By a great effort of will he was able to speak. "'I—I wonder if you might be interested in this ring.' How many times had he planned that innocuous question, said it over and over to himself, and yet now it rang strangely in his ears like a ridiculous group of nonsense syllables. The other man was still staring at him. "'What ring?' he said. "'Oh!' Somehow he managed to smile. He slipped the gold ring from the finger of his left hand and set it on the counter, afraid to touch the man's hand. "'I was driving through—' and my car broke down, a few miles down the road. I don't have any money. I thought perhaps I could sell my ring. It's quite valuable. The man was turning the ring over in his hands, looking at it suspiciously. Finally he said, "'Where'd you get this?' The way the man said it made his breath choke in his throat. Could there be something wrong? The color of the gold, something about the diamond— he tried to smile again. My wife gave it to me several years ago. The man's face was still clouded. How do I know it isn't stolen? Oh, the relief was exquisite. My name is in the ring. He pulled his billfold from his breast pocket. And I have identification. He took the passport out and set it on the counter. The man looked at the ring and read aloud, T.J. from Marie Newton, Anniversary, 1982, and then 18K. He set the ring down, picked up the passport, and leafed through it. England? Yes. 
I'm an interpreter at the United Nations. This is my first trip here, trying to see the country. Hmm, the man said, looking at the passport again. I figured you talked with an accent. When he found the picture, he read the name. Thomas Jerome Newton. And then looking up again, no question about that, this is you all right. He smiled again, and this time the smile was more relaxed, more genuine, although he still felt light-headed, strange. Always there was the tremendous weight of his own body, the weight produced by the leaden gravity of this place. But he managed to say pleasantly, "'Well, then, would you be interested in buying the ring?' He got sixty dollars for it, and knew that he had been cheated. But what he had now was worth more to him than the ring, more than the hundreds of rings.